teaching of Buddha is a awakening teaching, a teaching of wisdom. And this uh, wisdom faculty is the faculty that differentiates, skillful differentiation, uh, differentiates the the realm of existence, this kind of flood of experience that's occurring. And of course, this can differentiate it in various ways. Uh, but the acknowledgement of it is this is a very tangled uh, experience of multiplicities of tactile impressions, visual impressions, emotional impressions, um, inclinations, desires, wishes, um, memories, mm, thoughts, um, all mixed up together. And uh, even subtle levels that in the grosser mixing we hardly recognize the subtler qualities that are, that are also present, um, subtle luminosities. Or, um, so once one enters some of these subtle luminosities or energies, we think we've found something you know, more fundamental. It's really, yeah, it's there, and it, but it's, itself this is not the aim. This is also another level of existence to contemplate and be discerning about. Uh, the aim of discernment is to differentiate, um, pull apart the tangle and kind of tidy it so that we can then, you know, as you do that, you begin to, just like you have a tangled mess of yarn and you unravel it and you say, oh, there's some spider's webs got in here, we'll throw that out. And there's a, it's a little bug has made a nest in here, throw that out. And there's some, you know, little extras get cleaned out, you know, like you're doing a, uh, defrag on your hard drive, you clean out this, the um, surplus files or the deleted material. Mm. And that's stacking up. So what's being cleaned out are, are traces of ignorance. Um, essentially, <laughs> both the inclinations and the traces of them, the residues of, of unknowing, of uh, uh, extraneous creations of um, dead material, of deluded, deluded material, material that causes unnecessary clogging to the system, stress to the system that we're experiencing. And differentiation is that um, to recognize the difference, there's the Vajji experience, the speaking, thinking, uh, mental um, organization experience, it's called, so, you have the chitta experience, which is more the emotive, intuitive, imaginative, perceptual, uh, f- feeling experience, mental feeling experience. And you have body, um, which has its own um, domain to do with uh, tactile impressions and also uh, a subtle um, organizational experience. It knows how to move, how to stand, how to breathe, how to balance, uh, how to arrange itself, how to to go through a movement smoothly, which we could never organize with our our thought. So these systems all have their intelligences and they also have their uh, uh, misinformation. Basic intelligence of, of, of body, in a nutshell, is it, uh, it gives you a place, it tells you where you are. Mm. And though, you know, in, in yourself, subjectively. Mm. So though where you are could be described as Massachusetts or Georgia or, you know, Britain or somewhere, you realize, well, that's just the name for a series of uh, experiences where you are all the time uh, is here. And naturally, mm, the visual appearances change. Um, The tactile experiences change. But the sense of being here, it remains a constant embodied experience. This itself is just useful to keep returning to 
because everything uh, tends to move away from that. It's a grounding experience. It's a it's a, a, a touch into that enables a certain discarding or an inclination to discard the pressures of the past and the future, the pressures of circumstance, just to recognize you're always, you can only ever really be here. You know? and of course, that's not all, but that's, that's an important one to come back to because it is by and large something that gets lost. And when you recognize that being here, something says, oh, that's true. Why is it true? Because it stands for itself. It doesn't require persuasion, discussion, conviction. It just is. It's called, it's called a satya. Satya is, means truth, but it means something more than just accuracy. It means a felt sense of this is, this is immovable. It's steady. It's a, it's a substantial something that one can rest upon. It's the ability to rest here. You know? So Satya has a certain reality, even a placement to it. It's deep grounded sense. It stands for itself. The true the quality of chitta deals with feeling and perception. Mm. So this this level, this realm of experience to do with uh, perception means impressions that we derive from seeing, hearing, touching, thinking, and so on. Arises from the the six sense bases. That's the base of the thinking mind, which produces the sense, the experience, sense experience called thought. And the visual organ presents the sense experience called sight, sight and forms, and so on. And the chitta receives the perception, delicious, interesting, uncertain, wavering, uh, fragrant, obnoxious, friendly. So it receives impressions, interpretations of either a primary nature, you might say, you know, that's a cushion, then a secondary nature, that's an attractive cushion, uh, it reminds me of when I was in somewhere else, you know, so you get these perceptions can echo and resonate and carry storehouses of meaning. You know, you might taste a peach and get the flavor of peach and in a moment you're remembering this peach meal you had in Granada or somewhere when that music was playing this whole thing starts to open up the perceptual realm is not just the uh, obvious external senses but also the triggering that occurs and chitta uh, both receives these perceptions and also stores them stores meanings. So perceptions are derived and stored. So we get a library of meanings that any one of these here and now perceptions can open up this library of meanings, which can be with all kinds of um, fragrances, memories, imperatives and fears and uncertainties and stuff, perception. So this is the jitters uh, tells you that, tells you what things mean to you. And the feeling, the disagreeable quality of that, or the pleasant quality of that, or the neutral quality of that. And so as it experiences this realm of feeling, it resonates, it vibrates. And as it vibrates, it gets activated and it starts to produce its own uh, inclinations, uh, wishes, uh, reactions and responses, sankhara. Mm. The realm of vajji, or speech, is um, not the realm of chitta. 
it's the, another sense base mm, uh, uh, where thoughts occur. And this is generated through the jitta's wish to know how to navigate in this realm. That it finds itself impinged upon. Perceptions, meanings, feelings arise, jitta is stirred. What am I supposed to do about it? That question, what am I supposed to do about it, goes into this other organ, mano, which starts to figure out what to do about it. So, or the possibilities of what we could do. And to make it certain, we generally create a realm of four or five possibilities that we can keep juggling. In case one doesn't work, there's another one. And if that doesn't happen, there's another one. And this could be better than that one. So this, this realm is extremely active with producing not one set of, of, uh, of possibilities, but several. Uh, and with the inclination that that will make it better because with several, then if one doesn't work, the other one will work. And then you compare which one could be better than the other one, which one is most likely, and then what you'd have to do to make that one work. So all this is happening in this realm of um, this interplay between Chitta's search for, for happiness, security, steadiness, and Mano's conjuring tricks to generate possibilities and strategies to to arrive at those and they're all virtual none of them are actually present they're all virtual possibles and creates a lot of energy goes into generating this world of possibles with its anxieties and dreads and attractions and uh attractive options, and then comparing. So a lot goes into this this, act, this activity. What am I going to do about it? Is the feeling this way, what am I going to do about it? So what I'm going to do about it is generated, is the, is the realm of the mano faculty, the vaji faculty, the verbalization, producing abstractions to guide us. And of course, we're being guided by abstractions. Kind of eerie, in a way, to take one's guideline from stuff that isn't actually there and probably will never really happen the way that we planned it. (laughs) Such is the need for certainty that we will put our money on this horse, which doesn't have any legs. But it has wheels. So it runs very fast. And as it runs fast, the energy in our system rushes to this faculty and gets it to produce more and generates a fairly high-speed activity. So... This means that where we are disappears, energetically disappears, uh, and uh, and is replaced by where we could be, or where we should be, or what we should be doing now to arrive at where we would be, could be, should be, uh, feeling good, steady, satisfied, complete, fulfilled. But operating through that system alone means we'd never get to that place where things just stop and rest because the energy that we've assembled and, and stoked up is not a rest energy. It's, a, it's an energy of organization. It cannot, itself, it cannot do rest. It's not its job. Its job is not to find rest. Its job is to conjure. Right? conjure possibilities and comparisons and perhaps refer to meanings to seek guidance from meanings uh, impressions, memories of what used to work or could work or what other people say or what I believe would be good so we're working on 
a storehouse of meanings, a library of meanings, and with a possible, with this virtual reality of what could be or should be, it gets very scrambled because none of it actually has this mark of truth. Truth just stands. It doesn't require, it's not compared with anything. Real truth is just this. It doesn't look over its shoulder what it was or could be. It's just, it's the place of, it's this. Stop. It's this. Yeah. As a certain energy, where energy stops moving in order to just sit and feel and be there. So, naturally quite a bit of training and uh, absorbing has to occur. To train to, train to, to um, steady the energy, to investigate the meanings, perceptions, feelings, what are valid, what are just old stories, what are stories that library that somebody else put the book there, it wasn't even your book. You've got you know all kinds of stuff gets loaded onto your to your drive that wasn't wasn't yours. You know, media doing it all the time. How much of that is yours or personally verified? How much of it is just indoctrinated, assimilated? Um, seems all right. I don't know. So, um, yeah. So to prune away. Marks of, to, to arrive at marks of truth. One of the marks of truth is that all these moving experiences are of the nature to change. None of them can be constant, reliable, certain. They are variable, virtual, changeable. Is that true or not? Mm. And bearing in mind truth is just the place where we go, uh-huh. Mm. And stop. Yeah, it has that mark to it. Of course, maybe it doesn't seem enough. Like, well, yeah, but what am I going to do about this, that, and the other? But we're looking at real realization of truth rather than how to do anything. And perhaps from the place of realization of truth, we sit upon that, stand upon that, rest upon that. Various, just that alone has a filtering effect. Various defective, reckless, superfluous ideas, notions, uh, energies begin to settle. The energy of restlessness may settle. The energy of doubt may settle. The energy of speculation may settle. The idea of the future may quieten down. Once you, because there's an energetic quality to truth, it, it stops, it sits, it stands, it's just this. So this helps. The jitter knows, oh, this, this I know. It may not be much, but this has got a particular quality to it that is not stressing and pushing and wishing and fearing. Well, I'll just settle for that for a while. <laughs> yeah. So this is the way we start to make a kind of a, a breakthrough from this skein, this tangled skein of, of becoming where everything is becoming something, never, nothing ever really fully arrives except a sense of stress and scramble. Mm-hmm. With a sense, sense of stress and scramble, one becomes used to that stress and scramble as a mode of existence. Uh, and it's just about making it as sweet a scramble as possible. Mm. 
or as comfortable or as well-meaning a tangle. um, So when we come to retreat times, a good chance to just, you know, detangle, clean and see what arises from a place of touching into truth. What particular programs, agendas, strategies, energies can seem healthy, seem worthwhile, at least bearing in mind as meanings. Meanings that instead of lining up to indoctrination of the media and the commercials and the commercial world and the political world, which is all full of pressures and distortions, we might find a meanings that line up to the sense of presence, integrity, the ability to find one's ground. So then we read that the jitta inclines into the body to find a basis for truth. The meanings then, Nietzsche, changeable, the meaning of Buddha, awakening, touch it, recognize it, the meaning of mortality, is that true? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you hold it until the mind stops? Wondering what to do about the garden when I've gone, you know, or whatever. Uh, It's true, isn't it? It doesn't tell us what to do, but it tells us this is where you are. This is the territory you've landed in. Now, what, based upon that, what meanings seem important? Well, to live with honesty so that I have no regret. To live without ill will so my mind is not twisted and soured. The place of truth, you can, when the jitta touches the place of truth, because the truth, the ground is not putting any pressure on it. It's not twisting or tainting it. The jitter is revealed. When the scramble of words, jitter is not revealed. Jitter is obscured. Smoky. We don't have something solid to test, to to look at. We only have virtual realities that keep shifting. We don't have a, a, a real clear mirror to look at. We only have interpretations, virtual assemblies. What I should be, could be, ought to be, wasn't, never will be. What I look like. Yeah. We don't have anything that just says it's this without any pressure, resonance, you know, of, of desire or aversion, no comparison. We have nothing of that nature. We don't have a steady mirror, an empty mirror. In the, but the body gives you that. It just says this. Because it's not adding any, any inclination of its own nature. It just says here. So the beauty of this, though it doesn't tell us what to do, that's awareness, we, we recognize I can be aware of that, and you have the mirror arises. The mirror can only tell the truth. It has no distortion in it. It has no particular agenda. It doesn't want to make you better. It doesn't want you want to cheer you up. In a way, it seems useless, except the fact that the jitter itself has its, it's not, has its own intelligence. And once it begins to see, oh, this, is, this quality of craving and wishing is stressful, drop that. This sense of comparing and contrasting is unpleasant, feels unpleasant, stop that. This speculation is just unnecessary and cannot arrive at truth. Stop doing that. The jitter begins to clean itself. It's not so stupid after all. It can, when it refers to the plane of, of truth, of awareness and presence, it senses that, oh, that's where it lets. So this meaning was just something that got loaded. I don't need that one. Well, that's, that's not 
a reality. That's just something I was told I should be. I was told a lot of what I should be. I was given a lot of comparisons of, <laughs> yeah, but they generated um, stress, anxiety, lack of confidence, lack. Lo- I lost ground in that. Now we might assume that from that basis, well, we just sit here being useless. But the jitta has its intelligence. It doesn't have to be acquired intelligence from outside or from school or from things of this nature. It has intelligence to, it can derive meaning by itself. The fact that we can be educated means that we have intelligence. The fact that we can assess, learn, you know, relate to things, that is intelligence. Not the information, but the faculty of being, having savvy, having wit, having know-how, having that fundamental intelligence. Now what, we, what gets put onto that is variable. But the innate quality of intelligence is not verbal information. It's the ability to, di- to discern, pause, linger. How is that? How does that feel? Where's that go? What's the energy with that? What's the mood with that? Is this mood stressful? Fruitful? Does it generate brightness? Darkness? Tangle? Clarity? We can assess that. So when we directly assess the effects of perceptions and meanings, that is an innate form of intelligence jitta has. So we might take something like meaning of Buddha. Now we could go into a whole historical thing about history and gender and size and what he did and didn't do and the Japanese have it this way and the Tibetans have it that way. This is not Buddha, is it? When we get to the meaning of Buddha, we get a sense of awake. What does that mean? It means clarity, full clarity. It doesn't mean it has a lot of information, just means full, unblemished unwaveringly clear. And when you take that in, how's that sound? How's that feel? And we look at the qualities of Buddha, impeccable in conduct and understanding. And just a sense of knowing, vijja, clear, charana, activity, deportment, delivery, uh, the way of conduct. We judge our sampano thoroughly, fully fulfilled. This means there's a sense of the awakeness is able to move conduct themselves in this sense sphere without greed, hatred, anxiety, worry, frustration, jealousy, depression. It doesn't mean they can do algorithms or drive jet planes. So their conduct is really this action free from these taints. How does that sound? Does it give a bright tone to the heart? Does it make feel overwhelmed? Is it dull? Is it something that generates uh, pressure? 
Or is it something that one feels illuminated by? Clar- you know, just, uh, just to be able to move around without pressure, without struggle, without anxiety, without worrying about the next thing. Yeah. I was saying one of the most remarkable features of the Buddha was the ability to sit at the foot of a Bodhi tree without wondering what kind of tree it was and how, where it came from and how tall it was and how many leaves were on the tree and whether to chop it down or not, whether to grow a forest of trees, whether there's a better tree to sit under somewhere else. Just to be able to sit at the foot of a tree, just sitting at the foot of a tree was one of the most remarkable qualities of a Buddha. <laughs> a lot of people can't do that. without the mind generating some thing about it. (laughs) So it's this sense of just clean. Action rather like trailing a finger through water. It's there, it's clean, it's steady, and then it just traces, ripple, doesn't own the traces, it just moves. Mm. Traceless doesn't own the traces. Other people get the resonances. Buddha moves on, traceless. So in terms of conduct, it's now just contemplating the effect of even taking a meaning like that. Dhamma, take a meaning like that. Not delayed in time, directly. Directly. Santitiko, directly, fully, discernible, akaliko, not delayed in time, not a, mo- not a question of moving forward or referring to back to something in the past, timeless, not about time, not about movement in time, not about becoming something. Ehipasiko, saying, inviting one to come see for yourself, pachatang, in yourself in your own intimate experience. Or panaiko, relevant, pertinent, conducive. It has its own turning. It reveals. We don't have to make something work, it reveals. There's a certain trust in a direct uncontrived, unchecked, uncontaminated, unclogged intelligence of citta, when it's not trying to know something it doesn't know. It's just sensing what's directly here. Is that brightening? Is that sense of one feels gladdened? These are the signs one looks for. Where does the heart lift? So, so from there, you know, when we know what feeling, what meanings, what are the right books to read, what are the right signs to look out for, what are the right, where that is, those qualities of citta that illuminate, that gladden, that comfort, that steady, that reassure, that keep you in touch with ground, that give you back presence, that are honouring and respecting calming, satisfying, then what do you do? As you're aware in this realm of experience, stuff is happening already. Doing is not a problem, it's happening already. We're in the realm of plenty of things are becoming. The sense faculties, physical sensations, the perceptions that arise, the histories, the old learnt tendencies, the acquired uh, drives, programs, the guilts, the uncertainties, the wounding, the feeling of inadequacy, the physical discomfort, the dullness and fatigue, the sickness, 
You've got plenty to do. (laughs) It's just meeting this stuff from a place of uh, ground. So some of it, this is not necessary. This is not necessary. To tangle with this is going to cause stress. I can immediately feel it coming. As soon as I draw towards that, I can feel the stress beginning to accumulate. Back off. Back off. Be mindful. Actually shield yourself from that one. So you start to build up strategies, meditative strategies, sati, uh, attention. Give attention to that rather than that. This is going to just cause more comparisons and judgments to occur that cause you stress. Don't give attention to that. Give attention to that which makes you feel more welcomed and included. Um, Give attention to that. Any sign of that where the heart feels rested and trusting and open, look for that. If it's in wherever that may be, careful attention. And mindfulness, sustain attention on those points. Once you have particular, because the faculty of jitta is is the most powerful agent we have. So as you derive a meaning, this is what meditation can bring us to, recollection, you felt a felt meaning such as beauty, clarity, truth, whatever these words mean to you. Where does that arise? Does it arise when you're chanting? Uh, does it arise when you have a certain thought in mind? A certain memory in mind? A certain emotional tone in mind? What generates that emotional tone, that lifting sense, that steady sense? Does it arise when you have a certain involuntary ease in your body? So you look for the sign and then you're mindful of that. You bear it in mind and you drink it in. Whatever you bear in mind becomes large. Whatever you move away from begins to wither. This is the basic principle of of um, samatha, calming meditation, um, which is uh, necessary to firm up um, the ground or the basis to uh, to get out of the tangle. And wisdom can begin to filter out, but then you have to you know, absorb into what is skillful in order to form a kind of a counterweight against the passion and pull and drive and energies that we, are, we, are, we live within, the clamor and the fear and the hatred that is not even not our own, but we are impacted by it day after day. You need to have something to repel that, otherwise it's going to seep in. You may not act in violent ways, but you can feel right depressed, alone, anxious, miserable, darkened, gloomy. Chitta cannot function properly in those territories. When the cloud, when the weather's like that, jitter doesn't operate. It's always it can't gain its fullness. So to restore the strength of jitta, we need to protect it, care for it, uh, steer it, and let it sit and dwell and linger and drink in, encourage it to drink in the good. This is a process called absorbing, soak it up. Now, this word absorbing, jaya, Jayati Bhikkhuwe is the phrase absorb bhikkhus. Um, it says even if you've only cultivated metta bhavana for the length of time it takes to pull a cow's udder, then you have cultivated absorbing. <laughs> Some of the images are beautifully graphic. You know. I wonder how long it takes to pull a cow's udder. One second, two seconds, twenty, thirty. Don't do that. <laughs> 
just imagine it. <laughs> so, it, you know, so we, of course, jaya, jhana becomes a technical term, like a lot of these uh, uh, phrases and terms that the Buddha used. As he uses them, then they become set in stone as, as clear, distinct uh, and jargon. And this is the nature of language. But the feel, felt meaning of jhana is just soak it up, soak up the good. Soak it up, sit in it, rest in it, saturate yourself in it. Be like a sponge to that. Uh, and don't get too fussy about the details and the technical definitions that your head's going to come up with or your doubt will come up with, or your craving will come up with, or your comparative faculties. Has he got it? She's got it. He had it yesterday. Well, they said they got a lot of it. I don't have any of it. Is it possible to have it in this thing? Well, he looked, he's got it. Yeah, but no, he has not me. This stuff's going to drive you nuts. Well, it says this in the book. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, who knows, in a way, your head, because your head is not going to do it. Your thinking tackle has to quieten down for that to occur, to get the absorbing. So it's one of these, these imponderable riddles. How can you think about something that goes beyond words? <laughs> How can you think about a state where the verbiage ceases? It's always going to be a bit defective, isn't it? <laughs> but we might say, well, unwholesome states are not present. That feels good. Stay with that. Sense of restfulness, ease, is present. Stay with that because it's good. Not because it means you're getting somewhere. (laughs) Just because it's good. Not because you've attained something, but you want to describe it that way, you're going to cause yourself problems but just because it feels good. Doesn't it? And stay with it. Is there something blameworthy about it? Now you can concoct, so, well, if I do this too long, I might not get into vipassana, then I'll, you know. <laughs> Where's that coming from? That's coming from the library, isn't it? And is it possible that your chit has enough intelligence of its own <laughs> to say, this feels good, I, I need to feel good. Uh, and hindrances do not feel good. <laughs> if you've got that wisdom to know these don't feel good, and so stop doing it, and finding a place where you can stop doing it, that's wisdom enough. That's discernment, isn't it? And when we contemplate, or you just, you know, what is it that makes you, what is it the, these hindrances, experiences? Well, is this scrambled state? Well, that's definitely, it doesn't feel good at all. Can't even get a reading on that scrambled. So what, what's the antidote to that? Find something where, where it isn't scrambled, right? <laughs> what about the sensation of the feet on the ground? Is that scrambled? No. Well, there you go. There it is. What about the sense of your holding your body up? Mm. Or the sense of the body holding itself up? How is that? Yeah, well, a little bit of work. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's steady. Okay, well, that's good then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, steady there. What about just recognize, you know, putting aside some of the mental, the purely intellectual stuff? The, the weight and the pressure of that, and the anxiety and the comparisons, does that feel, do you feel better or worse? And where are you going to feel, where are you going to feel okay? Is it going to be in your thought? Is it going to be a thought that gives you that? Or is it going to be a meaning in your heart that gives you that? Yeah, it's going to be a meaning in my heart, isn't it? When that heart is stirred with ill will, how is that? Sour, bitter. Let's avoid that then. When it has generated something, we feel a sense of warmth, trust, feeling friendly towards being befriended by non-hostility. 
and that's better. Then stay with that. And so on. And all of these bright qualities will incline towards stability, steadiness, presence, will not stain the mirror. You can see them, you can know them, and you can look at them very clearly, and there's no shrinking, there's no tangling around that. There's no regret around it. Mm. Of the happiness when reproach ceases. Happiness, the ease when recrimination ceases. Happiness when the sense of the past and the regret ceases. Mm. Their happiness brings you back to a ground, to truth. This is truth because it stands for itself. It brightens, it regenerates, it refreshes. This is truth. And what you do, you keep checking, filtering, discarding, blocking the unskillful, the unhelpful. And you keep feeding, generating, sparking the seeds of the beautiful. Just touching the seeds, warming the seeds, sheltering the seeds, treasuring the seeds, they sprout, honoring the sprouting, enjoying it, delighting in it, letting it ripen and bloom. This is the, what you do. And we have the time to do this. To train the thinking mind is of course one of those topics that's a major uh, source of training, but the thinking mind is not devoid of intelligence, it's just crammed with information. The information strangles its intelligence. It's so ponderous and so cluttered that it loses its dexterity. It's like a juggler with 150 plates in the air trying to ride a trick cycle at the same time. So you just give it one or two things to do. You know, just think tiny thought. Think a little thought like breath or body or goodwill. Where is that? And then linger. Think slow. Think short. Linger long. Think short. Listen long. Where is that? How is that feel? So that the thought is used just as an arrow to point to the heart, the chitta, or an arrow to point to the body, or an arrow to point to the, the skillful meaning, rather than a thing in a realm in its own right. It's a stripped down function to just act as a pointer and something that can linger. This training in lingering, savoring, pondering. This is the essential piece that the thinking mind can do. And if it doesn't, it skips to the next thought. So if we don't, if we train ourselves to think short, listen long, Lengthen the listening to pick up the meanings, the feelings, the senses, and think short again. What was that? Skillful? No, that one. The skillful, the helpful, the reality, that which leads to something softening that was compacted, 
something steadying that was tangled, something clearing that was murky, that, do it again, that, that. So this is where we create skillful karma, skillful manokama, that leads to the end of it. Because it leads, it's, it's mental action that directs us out of the tangle. And this is the mental action, subtle mental action we call meditation. Vitaka, point, vichara, savor, open, how is that? Keep cutting away the idea of next, what's next. What's next is always going to take you to another jump. What's next will happen by itself. So far, it's never been the case that nothing ever happened, (laughs) as far as I know. (laughs) Can we avoid predicting it? In a realm of precepts and safety, a refuge place, we might be able to avoid planning it and let it happen by itself. And particularly when we realize that this scenario itself is really just a dependently arisen conjuring trick. The reality of what's happening next is in our own hearts. And that's the one you have to listen out for. That's the one that where your karma is generated. That's the one where your suffering and stress is generated. Keep your eye on that one. That's what happens next. That's the one you want to know about.